my tagline is creativity is the only way to survive. Creativity is the only way to survive. Okay. You can't even get to culture if you don't have a good answer on so what. Have you ever been tagged in before? Oh, this could be the pilot that never gets shown. Welcome to Tagline. Pour a cocktail and join us for inspired conversations with the best storytellers, culture makers, and creators. Presented by our friends at Bullet Frontier Whiskey. Please drink responsibly. Did you give them an internship? No, no, no. They already were. It was just the- oh, because whenever we have a friend of a client of ours, we always give them an internship. Tagline is produced by iHeartRadio in partnership with Advertising Age. Hi, I'm Rob Norman. I'm the chairman of Group M in North America. Welcome to Tagline, the premiere episode. And today I'm thrilled to be both starstruck and awestruck. Starstruck by the marvelous Wendy Clark, the president and CEO of DDB, and awestruck by Rob Riley, the creative chairman of McCann. And we're all thrilled to be here today. Hi, Rob. Yeah. Hey, Wendy. Hello. Hello, Hello, everybody. It's good to see you. Thank you. We're going to talk about creativity and culture. And we're going to talk about whether creativity and advertising drives culture or whether creativity and advertising follows culture. Wendy, talk to us about culture. Oh, well, I don't think there's any podcast that could cover everything that we should probably say about culture. There's nothing that perhaps shapes advertising and has done so for forever uh, as much as culture does. So I, I love your the provocation of your question. Do we shape it or does it shape us? And the answer is yes. So it, it is both. I think when we're at our best... Of course, we love to say that we shape culture and I think you can quickly point to brands that uh, have done it, do do it, um, and seek to do it. And then when we're not perhaps at our best, we're either irrelevant to culture, it doesn't uh, ladder up to what we're doing or, or become material for the brands that we're working on. Um, and, uh, and I think that's an incredible loss when we don't do that because culture can work hard for us and hard for our work. So you too almost above anyone in the business, stand in the the footholds or the footmarks or even on the shoulders of the great giants of our business, Doldane Birnbach and McCann. And you think back, Rob, to the notion of a truth well lit and the history of McCann. Do you think that our truth now is as well lit as it has been in our history? I've never heard it described as truth well lit. I kind of like truth well lit. It's pretty good. <laughs> There's your tagline. Uh, we just jumped to we the just, end we of the podcast. From, yeah, you know, and we're out of here. <laughs> no, I think, you know, having been at McCann for three years and that phrase that is you know over 100 years old, that tagline of McCann, truth well told, it's more relevant today uh, than it probably was 100 years ago. You know, what I, what I think is important, and it's interesting, it's like creating culture versus chasing culture, and those words like culture, it's kind of like content. Some of these words, that's all we hear, so it's a little hard to give it, like, you know, the perspective that, that is, is accurate for me. But I think we're at a time where people accept brands in their lives more and more, more than ever before. And uh, that's, that's a good thing. The, the challenge for brands and the challenge for us as the, you know, the people who work with brands is um, that people expect more from brands too. So they'll accept you in your life, but you better bring a lot of things. You better be transparent. You better be innovative. You better be fun and interesting because, uh, you know, if you're, you're allowed in the lives of people, they, they want more. So it's a really uh, important time for us to get it right. To unpack that a little bit more, what does it, people being prepared to accept brand in their lives mean to you? Well... I have a whole theory on this. I don't know how long our show is, but... It's three hours uh, and 17 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I think it, it, start, it, started, it started, you know, uh, for me at a very uh, certain time when Napster came aboard. Because before Napster, music 
uh, and bands were sort of the sacred thing that young people didn't want brands to mess with. You know, and young people are the key to everything. You know, it starts with young people. There was a time when, you know, when a, a, a band was in a commercial. I remember when the Beatles went on the Nike commercial for Revolution. I think people were like, wow, that's, the Beatles have sold out. And I think young people are always protective of music and brands uh, and bands and brands. But when Napster came along and we were all getting music for free, that's when young people realized, okay, we're screwing these bands over. It's okay, okay, if Pepsi is sponsoring uh, an artist. It's okay if the band uh, wants to be on a commercial because we know this is uh, the only way they can make money because we're screwing them over. So I think that's when it really started, whereas like brands really started to seep into culture through music. And now we're at a point now, it's like you can't imagine a tour without being sponsored by a brand or you can't imagine a band being ridiculed for being on a commercial. They're almost celebrated. So I think that it's really changed. You know, I think we have to remember that our principal product, what we do for a living, is an uninvited guest in people's lives. There's nobody who wakes up every morning and goes, oh, I'm looking forward to seeing some advertising today. So you mean advertising, um, not brands, is the uninvited? I do. I mean, principally what we do for a living, right? Um, advertising. And so advertising is an uninvited guest. And our job is to give it the credibility, the invitation that people bring it into their lives. And, uh, you know, the answer everyone has to work toward is, so what? Right? So what? So many of our clients come to us, well, I want to do this or this or this. You have to sit there defiantly for the consumer on behalf of that consumer and say, so what? The average consumer sees 6,000 brand impressions a day in the U.S. 6,000. Right? So everyone's clamoring for the attention. Everyone's trying to get their message across. So what about what you're trying to say should that consumer invite you into their lives, even for 30 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever length of time? And uh, I think that that transcends everything that we're trying to do. So you can't even get to culture if you don't have a good answer on so what, right? You're not yeah. even going to, if you don't invite it in, there's no way you're shaping culture. You, when you say that, you imply quite a high order activity. And because you're trying to gain the permission to get into people's lives, yet. When we hear now so much about everything from ad blocking and in particular the idea of kind of influencer marketing and the idea that people from the street and relatable voices to people in audiences are the ones that they seek out, do you think that the kind of curatorial quality of advertising is diminished by that or do you think there's a legitimate place for those people and those voices in support of brands given the responsibility brands have rob that's a big question I mean, I, <laughs> thank god he said I, rob. Mean, I don't know yeah. that's a big question i mean i don't know i mean I, well talk to us about I, what I, you I, think I, I, it's, it's almost like that question is too smart for a person like me i'm trying to really decipher it uh, we're gonna need rob norman to answer yeah, his own rob question. Norman, can you give us your take on your own question it's a great question i think well, let me let me reframe it slightly. Yes, thank you. Uh, for the remedial podcast members. What us media people refer to as at the creative director right level. Um, <laughs> so what do you think of the notion of influencer marketing? I think it's super important. I think everything is marketing. That's why it's like I think the ad agencies, if you're good and you're smart, you're doing everything. 
You know, you are helping to curate this influence marketing. You're cultivating those relationships with these people. I think it's all marketing. Sometimes we get paid for it. Sometimes we don't. If you're smart, you're continuing to bring these ideas. I met with this young person who is a friend of a client of ours. And they're doing a UGC sort of company where they source. Did you give them an internship? No, no, no. They already work. It was just oh, because whenever we have a friend of a client of ours, we always give them an internship. (laughs) Of course, that's the best thing to do. And all the people who aren't your friends are interns at my company. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And there's a lot of that. But you know, it was a a UGC company, and they sort of aggregate all the photos of some brands they use, and they sell it to brands, and they help. And it's really not something that we would do. But I was like, we should be introducing these people to our clients, you know, for their benefit. Because you never know, there may be influencers out there that are using, you know, Snapchat, using Instagram to promote a brand uh, or talk about a brand, even on purpose or not on purpose. So I think all of it matters. Like, we're in a war all the time with our brands. Like, all this stuff matters. Finding a way to get those influencers, you know, caring about. Well, and and, and I'm going to put influencer in the same bucket as Rob established earlier with content and culture, because of course everything we do is about influence, right? We're trying to influence an outcome. We're trying to influence a sale. We're trying to influence behavior. So it's a, it is a very vacuous word these days because we're all rushed towards it and we all use it. And by the way, the influencers of my 14-year-old look a whole lot different than the influencers of my mother. And so, you know, I think knowing your target, knowing what you're trying to do, again, asking that question, so what? Um, starts to shape how you think about influencers. We we had an interesting situation with a client recently where we were negotiating with a celebrity for uh, some work and in the very final hour, that celebrity pulled out. And I mean, final hour. And you find yourself as we've all done at some point in our career, kind of, oh, what are we going to do? We ended up... Is Carrot Top available? (laughs) And Carrot Top wasn't available, which made it even worse. Um, And uh, so then we went to this set of, you know, YouTube influencers, quote unquote, and, um, you know, found this influencer. Fast forward to the work is done and we all, to a person, everyone on the client side, everyone on the agency side, we look at the work and we go, thank God that celebrity said no. This work is unbelievably good. It's much better than we thought it would be a celebrity. By the way, the volume of content we got, I mean, you know, these young quote-unquote influencers will shoot for hours and hours in every kind of format, way, combination you can think of, which is obviously what we want. And you kind of reflect on it. You go, gosh, the, the models that we have used previously now are coming into question more and more. You know, when I first started at McCann, the... um I walked into the sign McCann World Group and there's a big sign on the wall that said uh, McCann World Group transforming brands and building businesses. And I remember saying to Harris, this was done way before Harris Diamond. I said, this is sucks the life out of people. Like, you know, our job is to get young people to be excited to work here. And I said, uh, we've got to change this. And we went back and said, what's McCann been good at for so many years? And we sort of honed in on the fact that They've helped brands be meaningful in people's lives. So we start there and say, okay, what is the role of this brand? For Chevy, it's to help people to find new roads. It's for Microsoft to empower people to achieve more. You start there, and then you have a platform, and all the work comes out of it. So the relevance of some of these things for me, I don't think about it that way, whether it's material or not. I don't think about it that way. I think about, like, do we have a platform by which this brand can live on for 100 years versus changing, changing, changing. But I do think you have to change. We've all been in those meetings where like, I need that campaign I can run for 10 years. And I always say like, you need a platform then you can run for the next 100 years, not and just it, the campaign. And it has to be able to accommodate the ephemeral and the durable. Yeah, right? of course. I, I think you need only look at the most recent 
election to understand the changing dynamic of celebrity. What, making America great again? No. I mean, the celebrities came out in force and had very limited impact on the outcome. I beg to differ. I think Chachi killed it. (laughs) Okay, one celebrity had an overweighted influence. Um, It is interesting. Where is he going to end up in the administration? (laughs) Welcome to the first episode of Don't Go There. Oh, we're going there. Any of us in this industry who are not studying closely the outcomes of this election are not current with culture because this changed everything about the way that we think about marketing brands and people and participating in in culture today. I mean, the celebrity is just one aspect of that. You know, you know that biggest the biggest worry I think when you're at a ad agency or a marketing agency on each coast is that you're not connected to you know the, the rest of the country. Talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about that a bit more. Yeah. Almost all of the people that work in advertising are members of coastal elites in one description or another. I mean, you have many people in Chicago, Wendy. I have, that, I have even more lately. That, yeah, I know yes. you do, yes. But even Chicago at yeah. some point has now become a, as cosmopolitan as, as New York. And, well, that's right. Yeah. And it's coastal to Lake Michigan. Yeah. Uh, so it's a coastal elite all of its own. Let's not um, ruin your metaphor. No. no we can torture it, but let's not yes. ruin it. Okay? So... It's interesting that we have people that work with us and for us and in partnership with our clients who are kind of preconditioned and predisposed to a broadly liberal, broadly cultural set of influences. Yet we know, for sure, for sure, for sure, that there are many, many people in this country and you just look at savings rates and all of the other average income stats, that we're very detached as a group of people from many of the people that buy our clients' products. I'm kind of curious how you think about your interaction with your teams and your clients to keep that connection going. You know, Sam Walton had a quote that uh, hangs on the walls at GSD&M. I worked there 15 years ago, and it says, whenever you get lost, go to the store. The customer has all the answers. Uh, And I think that's pretty profound. And I think if we are not dwelling in our clients' business... Um, then, then we, you're absolutely correct, we will take a very elitist view, a, a very um, narrow view to what that can be. One of the questions I get the most uh, post-our McDonald's win is, well, you don't eat McDonald's, do you? And I said, I absolutely eat McDonald's. My children eat McDonald's. I, got, I mean, and literally, I was actually pointing at my friends from that age um, during one of the interviews, um, was, and I said that, and uh, it was Ken. God rest his soul. Let's just have a little little hand over heart for Ken. Uh, he said, well, what do your kids eat? Like, you know, like really testing me. And I said, I can tell you exactly what they eat. And I rattled off the order. My little boy likes hotcakes. My middle daughter likes a bacon, egg, and cheese McGriddle. And my oldest daughter likes a sausage, egg, McMuffin. I can tell you exactly what my kids eat at McDonald's because I go to McDonald's. Uh, you still from- have custody? <laughs> What's that about? Um, So my point in telling this uh, tortured story now, thank you, Rob Norman, uh, is that uh, we have to dwell on our clients' business. And if we somehow believe it's for other people that we are uh, thankfully here to help translate, then we're sorely mistaken. And I think Sam Walton had it right. Um, And, you know, interestingly, if you you stay on the Walmart construct for a while, obviously we don't work on Walmart anymore, but... um, you know, the Walmart corporate employees work on Saturdays. Right? I don't know if you know that. Um, because the stores are open. 
you know, and to, to make sure that even in their own structure, that the corporate employees were never too removed from the experience of what the store employees were experiencing, because the store employees are the ones driving the revenue, you know, making it happen, serving the customer. And so I think in all facets of our business, be they on the client side or the agency side, if we get too far removed from those whom we are trying to influence, then we will not be successful. Do you have a grounding client, Rob? A grounding client? Yeah, the one that keeps you real and connected with the social and cultural mores of the the population. For me, like, my whole background is mostly retail. I mean, Crispin, where I spent pretty much my most important years as a creative person, mostly retail accounts. And retail keeps you grounded. Mm. Like, I think that's the important thing, whether it's McDonald's or whether it's a Best Buy or whether it's, you know, Verizon. Uh, Those things keep you grounded because you're looking at sales every day, you're looking at trends every day, looking at what people like, what they don't like. So those are the things that keep you grounded. But I think uh, Microsoft, for, for me, for a long time, at Crispin and now at McCann, because it wasn't necessarily the cool brand. It was more of like, hey, if you make the right products, people will come. You know, And they ended up making the right products and people are now certainly coming. So that's probably the closest to, to grounded to trying to do the right thing for people, which is empowering people of all types to do great things. It's funny, isn't it, when you talk to people in our business, especially those who have been in the business for a long time, a lot of our kind of war stories and the ones we love most, even though we may not love them most of the time, involve retailers. And I always kind of figured that the reason why it was, was the idea there's a bunch of guys from security that unlock the door at nine mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock in the morning, and no one knows whether anyone's going to walk through the door or not. And there is this perfect sort of moment of truth which could be triumph or or disaster for those people. For sure. That's why the Walmart's a great example of like and I didn't know that corporate worked on Saturday. It's kinda of, kinda of genius. I'm sure a lot of people don't want to work there because of it, you know, uh, but it's kind of genius in, in a way because you feel then it like it is connected to people. Like just because you work in the store doesn't mean you're not a consumer. Before you go on, Rob, I would like to point out that I have finished my drink. Yeah, first. where is the I delicious just, bullet drink? Like to, delicious. D- DJ Time to take a break with our friends from Bullet Frontier Whiskey. Please drink responsibly. Okay. We have Jeff, and Jeff is the thing called a mixologist, which I'm not a young person, so I don't know exactly what a mixologist is. Um, Jeff actually was the world-class U.S. bartender of the year. Is that correct, Jeff? That is. Woohoo! That's pretty he awesome. looks great. He's kind of... He's an influencer. You've transformed Bullet Bourbon into something even more delicious, Jeff. Are you going to tell us about it? Yes, this drink is the uh, the Red Velvet. It's inspired by the classic formula of a Manhattan. So the base is coconut water, and we do a modifier of bullet bourbon. The reason the base is coconut water is because it's such a mild flavor. You have to have more of that than the whiskey so you can actually taste it. If you did two to one of whiskey to wa- coconut water, you wouldn't taste the coconut water, so you have to do it backwards. I have, seriously, he's, I love he's, it. He's, he's I, I, I never drink bourbon. This is the first bourbon drink I've... Enjoyed. Thank you. It's You're really, really welcome. Great. It's it's a fun combination because coconut water is something you would associate with the Caribbean, with with rum, something on a beach. But bullet bourbon is aged in American oak, and American oak imparts uh, a coconutty flavor to it. Where? Where? Such yeah. Knowledge. Where does it come so from? Good. Uh, Kentucky. Kentucky. Like yeah. all good bourbon, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So you're wearing an incredible leather outfit. For the ladies' pleasure, yeah, awesome. oh, listening, the uh, the leather outfit is, it's like a, we're what think, is that? We're thinking Gangs of New York. Yeah. It's that sort of butcher kind of yeah. thing. It's it's a, it's a leather workman's apron that's provided by Moore and Giles out of Virginia. I've been using it behind the bar for six years, and uh, it, it keeps me dry, and, and people tend it to... It is the dress of a winner. Have you ever gone shirtless? Because I think that would be Ooh. a... Ooh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little too early out, for that. If it's hot out, you know. It's hot out. I'll, out I'll leave it to your imagination. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. How do you come? I mean, to be the winner, like what? What? You the know, levels of competition. What did you have to go US through to get to that? Because I'm fascinated by that. I went through the ringer. It's an annual bartending competition. There's a there's a there's regional rounds, regional heats. There's national heats. There's a global uh, final. Bartending is such a multifaceted occupation that they try to come up with competitions to judge all of that. Mm. So if you're just fast. Or if you just make great drinks, you're not going to win. You kind of have to do everything. Sounds like a pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, so, you, are you considered an influencer then for Bullet? Yes. I, think? Right. I, I know you're here I, doing this. I consider this, myself one, yes. Are you a big fan? <laughs> so you're... I'm a fan. I love Bullet Whiskey. It's also the 30th anniversary. It's yeah, all, I, mean, I was all right there thinking right back to you know, 1987 and what it was like then. How do you think that cocktails found their way back into the kind of cultural mainstream and, and why do they stay there? I think there's something very exciting about cocktails and, and in along with other industries where people are very uh, intrigued by things that are created and created for them. They like this customization of it. And it's, uh, you know, barbers and, uh, you know, butchers, bartenders, all these, all these people that make things are kind of in trend right now. The mixology or the bartending explosion has really kind of like gone up uh, tenfold in the last, you know, 10 years. Uh, it's exploding all over the, uh, all over the U.S. and in the world. I mean, there's great cocktail bars in, in Athens, Greece, in, in Indonesia. As opposed to Athens, Georgia. You've turned me into a bullet <laughs> drinker, Jeff. Yeah. Hey. Only this drink. My work here is done. It's not done. No, it's no, not no, done. No, 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 it's oh. not done. Exactly. Jeff, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jeff. Okay. Pleasure. We love that. We can fully in the clapping, right? So here's the thing. I got very confused. I, I, I moved to um, the U.S. in uh, a day we call Boxing Day in, yeah. in England. Well, you would yeah, know, Wendy, is, right? Yeah. The 26th of Christmas, December yes. uh, in 2004. And I was unfamiliar with the ways of America. Americans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very curious. I'm sure, we were, I'm sure we were unfamiliar with your ways also <laughs> as, as, as we arrived on the As Churchill famously said, separated by a common language. And <laughs> it remains true. I was here like, I mean, maybe six, seven weeks, and there was this thing which I was I'm a, I'm a, an ardent bird watcher, which not everybody knows about me. And I saw this whole thing. Hello, ladies. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the, the whole country was getting excited about this thing called the Superb Owl. And then it turned out that I'd misread it slightly, and it was the Super Bowl. Yeah. And... It turned out that this was two things. It was a thing that the locals called a football game, which was all implausible because of the aspherical shape of the ball. But it also turned out to be like the Olympics for advertising. Everyone got excited and people were thinking about who was booking ads and people talked about how many dollars per second the ads were costing. And it struck me that for brand owners and for people in the creative community, the combination of opportunity, fear, and anticipation reached a place that was unimaginable. Tell me about making a Super Bowl ad, Rob. God, from yeah. bird watching to that. Yes. Right? You did not know where well, that was going, I, did you? Know, I, I, I didn't I, either. I've made a few. Um, it ruins your holiday, I will tell you that. <laughs> Which so, holiday? Christmas. Martin Luther Christmas. King? Oh, yeah, okay. Christmas, yeah. Hanukkah. And that too, any holiday, I'll, I'll translate for you. Uh, it's definitely the... the 
And it's still, it's probably similar to, you know, Christmas adverts in, in, in London and Britain, you know, in England. So I think it's a similar sort of now, certainly now where the, the anticipation for these ads are, are high. But making one for sure, I think a lot of, a lot of the times the rules are thrown out, you know, and I think, uh, you know, there's some tried and true sort of techniques as to what might score high on the USA ad meter. So, I mean, watching these things and, and Wendy has probably approved many, you know, new in her job, but, but on the client side, Coca-Cola's was a huge part of the Super Bowl all the time. Uh, still, to me, made the greatest Super Bowl out of all time in Mean Joe Green, you know, back in the 70s. But it still has the cachet to it. It still has some weight because it is the moment where if you do it right... Uh, and I think one of my favorite ones when Wyden Kennedy did the um, import from Detroit ad for, for Chrysler. Beautiful. It was, it was really this moment where you felt proud. And I didn't care that it wasn't my agency who did it. I, and I wasn't jealous. I definitely felt proud. Like, okay, this is proud to be an proud advertising, to be an advertising mm-hmm. because it was like, okay, right. this is like, and it wasn't because it wasn't funny. I'm proud to be an advertising when someone does something funny. Mm-hmm. This is like the moment when we all can actually band together and say, you know what? Let's have a good show collectively mm-hmm. because this is when we... All boats rise. All boats rise mm-hmm. because like no one cares about what we do for the most part. Uh, Consumer-wise, you know, they maybe like the ads, but they're not knowing the people who made it are actually part of this. This is the one moment where this is our Academy Awards. This is our moment in time where people are saying, that was good, that was funny, that was made me think or made me laugh or made me cry. So if you're me doing my job, because I, yeah. I just buy the space, right? You make the ads and that's great. Um, but we just buy the space. And like they say, it's a very uncomplicated business. You need four people to make the multi-million dollar transaction for sure. a Super Bowl ad. You need the buyer, the seller, and the two caddies. And then you have a Super Bowl ad. And the mixologist. On, and the mix. We now carry one yeah, in our good. bag. Jeff was our mixologist. We could just take him with us, right? So when we think about it, we think about the economics of it. We think about the three to five million dollars or whatever it will be. We think about the return on investment. And we think about effectively sort of going through a pleasant managed evening in a casino thinking about, well, we'll do some red, we'll do some black. And then all of a sudden someone says, shoot the pot on number 28. And that's the Super Bowl spot. If you're a creative person, does that economic aspect in the sense of kind of risk and opportunity sort of drive the way you think or how you feel about it? Money is always a... A, a, a leverage point for a client to say this better be good, you know. Mm. So I think I look at it the other way. Like we, this is the one moment you can really tell a client like this better be good. But they don't pay you own. twice as much per hour for no, making they don't pay you do twice that. as much. But like I think the the stakes are the highest they will ever be. Is still on the Super Bowl. You know, it's not the necessarily the Academy Awards. People aren't watching the Academy Awards for the ads. You happen to be a great place to capture people's attention, but it's still a thing. The ads are still a thing. To, to the earlier uh, construct that we were talking about, perhaps the Super Bowl is the one day that advertising is an invited guest. Yeah. Right? Uh, off That's the bat, point. people know that they're going to see ads. They sit still for them to some degree. They want to watch them. They, they know it's going to be part of the cultural conversation the next day around the water cooler. So, gosh, with that head start, as an industry, shame on us if we fumble yeah. At the oh, at the, the goal, goal line. Oh, 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 oh my oh. God! I strung. Uh, there's so Nailed many things it. I strung together. There. We live in the world the CEO, of perfectly right? connected no metaphors. Right? Yeah, when when do you just tell us what your close yeah. is going to be? Yeah. Don't don't worry. No, the close is going to be great. It's going to be fumble at the goal line. So if a client says to you, Wendy, I want to get as much mileage out of this as possible. I'd like to 
trail my Super Bowl ad on YouTube or something else? Do you say, are you mad? Or? No, no. You know, it's funny because we're so predictable as an industry and I love us. I love us with all my heart. I don't want to be in any other industry, but I think because I love us, I feel like I have great permission to make fun of us. And, you know, you watch us, we're so predictable. We, someone does a thing, and we're like, oh, everyone wants to do that thing. And then, like, the entire bloody industry, like, leans toward that thing. So everyone a while ago went to pre-launching, pre-announcing their Super Bowl. All of a sudden, everyone ran them. Like, every Super Bowl ad was announced and run in some form or fashion two weeks before the Super Bowl. And then the next year, was like, oh, no, that won't. That, and now everyone's done this. Now what are we going to do? And now we're going to tease. So then we did, like, little 15-second or 10-second snippets to kind of tease it. And then everyone does all this of it. So we sort of like, we rush to, we flock towards um, Yeah, ho- hopefully things. we're back to just make it good. You know, like, I'm really back, like, you know, you, so, you can it's like watching it. six-year-olds playing soccer, right? It's like 90% of the players totally. on the field are within <laughs> that I, three feet of the ball. But I do that's think that's the true. difference of where the Super Bowl has evolved because it used to be it ran on the Super Bowl. But now, because obviously the internet, it can run before or run in a longer form. I think the longer form, and the perfect example of this is Volkswagen and the Star Wars kid ad. Mm. That ran as a 60 mm-hmm. for two weeks before the Super Bowl. And it ended up being one of the most famous Super Bowls. But the 30 ran on TV. Mm. And it didn't matter because you kind of knew that everybody knew the story. So, like, the question is, like, they probably didn't even have to run it on the Super Bowl because they said it was Super Bowl. And this is, like, their pre-thing. So, in some ways, you know, they saved... Five million dollars, not doing a sixty and doing a thirty, but they gained so much by the quality right. of the content. And so it, if the quality it, of the content sucked, it yeah. wouldn't have mattered if they let it out. So we know a building materials company had just made a, allegedly an ad for Super Bowl that got rejected by Who? Fox. It was a building materials company of some description, on it, and it was about wall building. And there was oh, yeah. a political reference to that. Do you think that um, there's a game in gaming the broadcast audience? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Droga did it with Newcastle. I mean, there's lots of ways. And everybody's thinking of all these things. Like, they probably didn't even want to be on the thing. They're like, we're going to make an ad so controversial. It's going to be, you know. I always say, like, when the idea lands in culture, what's the story you want the press to write about, right? right? I don't know if that's a, a smart one. That just says they were trying to be salacious. It would have all gone horribly wrong if they'd actually had to write the check for the $5 million to write Maybe, it. yeah. Rob, you're, you limited your role in the in the end product, saying that you, you're merely transaction. But I do think that communications planning and media planning yeah. plays a key role now. For and sure. I think increasingly we're talking, we, we don't see the Super Bowl as a single point in time. Right, we're looking at the narrative arc of a brand on a continuum. And the Super Bowl may or may not be in that narrative. If it's in that narrative, we go, ooh, interesting, we've got the Super Bowl to play with, but we've got an entire ongoing narrative of a brand. So what does that point in time play in the ongoing narrative? You don't look at it as a singular, standalone, isolated. So you're looking at you know, the highs and lows of a narrative over time and how that plays in. So, so yes, it's funny, I think about it in a, in a different way. I see this world of incredibly atomized rather than fragmented audiences. I think the most atomized. I think it was individuals. And I feel like that we're almost snowed in by the rush of data and the pieces Did that Did you just say this. snowed in and then Russian? I mean, honest to God, you just said snowed and Russian. Did you, I like... Could, uh, I uh, couldn't uh, possibly comment. It was meant to have been in code. <laughs> it was meant to have been encrypted before Wiki I said it. It was hilarious. I apologize. Thank you. Are we going to do taglines? I yes. do taglines. Yeah. This is tagline. Okay. I need both of you to think about taglines. I have many. You do? Yes. Can you go? Do Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready go. to go. So uh, my tagline is creativity is the only way to survive. Creativity and is the only, only way, way to, to survive. survive. Okay. 
And I use the example, and it's not just brands. I think people are using creativity all the time. I think the best example is the, the Pope. He used what social media to really save the Catholic Church. I think before he came in, it was really going the wrong way when it came to perception and uh, being seen as a very dusty brand and never, and I call it a brand. Who, who and, never, and if I'm a CEO, I look at like, look what the Pope did and really changed perception of the church by what he talked about and then how he talked about it and how he shared it and was always photographed and shared it in the social media. So you follow both at Pontifex and at POTUS, out of curiosity? I, well, not the new at POTUS. Oh, okay. No, Wendy, follow up. you have a tagline? Well... I think it is, don't fuck on the gold line. I thought you said that. <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> that would make me like ripping off your tagline. Yeah. Like here on the spot. No, no, no. You know, it's funny because we have, much like Rob, you, you do get, I think, after 20 blah, blah years uh, working, you have a whole bunch of isms. People yeah. talk about Wendy isms. And so that I have isms. Um, I'm trying to think which I would make into a tagline, but um, for at DDB, if I'm borrowing from. Bill Burnback, we believe that creativity is the most powerful force in business. Um, very and that, similar. That's very similar to yeah. what Rob just said. Um, Bill Burnback also dreamed of an agency that would be filled with talented and nice people. Uh, and I think that we too often in the industry forget about the latter part of that. And we get so obsessed with talent that we forget to be nice. Yeah, I agree. That's that's super key. You know, I mean, that's, the, that's been a bit of the secret, I think, for McCann is that you want nice people. It's by the time you're 40 years old, I tell people coming to interview, like, you have one job. That job is to take care of your family. You might as well do it with people you like, mm-hmm. like, because it's hard. So, I've always been like, I would, what's, your tag, su- what's your tagline? Well, to my surprise, um, I've actually found that I've been working in the business even longer than no. either. No, really. No. no I'm, well, yes, it's I'm, true. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, it's on my bad true. days, I'm, 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 I'm old. On my good days, I'm venerable. Um, <laughs> and I have been shocked and amazed by the number of people I've worked with that I've liked. And it's been an extraordinarily uh, great privilege to to do that. And here I am. What's the tagline, though? What's I don't the, have a tagline. Yeah, you know, you gotta, listen, you, I'm, a, I'm a media man. What's, no, you know, dog, what, come so on. So just transact to yeah. the taglines. You're, you're, you're very them. funny. You've been doing a lot of good bits, no. so I need a tagline. No, my come tagline on. is, what's the CPM? I mean, that's kind of yeah, how we are rubbish. in our world. It's, 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 you know, Never mind Never mind the quality, fill the width. That's how we work. Yeah. Ooh, I want to say, we're going we're gonna to make a phone call. So in the spirit of tagline, we're going to tag in new guests for our next episode. We're excited to have them. Um, we're going to try that thing of dialing phone numbers and see who answers. Who are we tagging in? DDB? DDB. Of course. It's Matt. 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 Is that Matt Britton? It is. Matt. That's extraordinary. Thank God. Can you, I didn't uh, think we'd reach him. No. We got him. I mean, it was more hope than you expectation. So Does Matt know we're calling? So no. do you know we're calling, Matt? Do you know who no. this is? Nope, the phone just rang. Are you glad we called? This uh, is a podcast. I, I, You're I'll on a podcast. By the time we're done. Okay. Mm. So are you a lonely he hasn't person? Hung up. Do you have friends? Uh, I am alone right now. Okay, oh. that's good. I think we should tell Matt what this is before he hangs up. Do you think so? <laughs> yeah. Okay. He surely so, recognizes he's your a busy voice. Guy. So, you Matt, we're, this, we're calling. We're, we're, I'm Rob Norman. Um, and this is a tagline podcast. Actually, the <laughs> premiere of the tagline podcast. Don't screw it up, Don't screw it up. Here live from the studios at, at iHeart. And I have with me Rob Riley, the creative chairman 
however strange that sounds of McCann, <laughs> and Wendy Clark, the uh, CEO of, uh, uh, of DDB. Hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. Hi, it's great to hear from you. It's yeah. really nice to hear from you. And we're doing this podcast... And this, this is part is the one. crank call of the podcast. This is the crank call, yeah. right? But it's the crank call, and it's so cranky that we're going to ask you, Matt Britton. Matt okay. Britton? We got the right guy. Matt Britton, would you, would you be okay with coming on the next episode of our podcast to talk about advertising, creativity, and culture, and all those good I'd things? Love to. Would, you, do, would you do that? I'm huge fan of all of you guys. Oh, Have you ever been tagged in before? Oh. I can't um, answer that. I, I have on Facebook. He has oh. on Facebook. Oh, yes. I, I bet you were Pope, too. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? It's been a while, right, since I was yeah, Pope exactly. on Facebook. I've told um, you. Yeah, I know you did. <laughs> and the rest of my life has been an anticlimax. <laughs> I can tell you. Matt, if you were coming on and you like had 15 seconds to say, I'm Matt Britton, this is my tagline, this is what tomorrow and culture and creativity means to me, what would you say, like maybe off the cuff possibly? Um, I would say the number one challenge for brands today is to future-proof themselves about the changes being brought about by the millennial generation. Wow. This guy, this guy, this he should have been smart. the first oh. one. Why, how the hell did you and I land? I'm going to die if you need to buy you. Somebody owns Mr. Youth yet, right? This is a scheduling contestant. We were really tedious. Right? We were Michael just a warm-up. No, it's, actually, it's actually owned by Poopo Suscrito. Uh, oh, really? Okay. Now this that, was that's the one so that's close. missing. Now this, we have This could be the pilot that never gets shown. It probably is. It was your warm-up. We were just your warm-up. I'll call Mr. Publicist. Matt Brim, we're going to be on the phone with you soon. Thank you for being Bye, Matt Britton. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much for the podcast. Cheers, right. guys. You have a good one. Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye. What a cool guy. God, so, that, that podcast is going to, I mean, you know, he's going to say words him. like I'm ephemeral. I'm a big fan of his company, you know, and I've never met like him. Like Rob so. Norman does. That's going to be such a... an intellectual conversation. Folks, our listener, bless you for staying with us. Rob Riley, Wendy Clark, our friends at iHeart, our friends at Age. Cheers. We love you. Be careful out there. Good night. You've been listening to the debut episode of Tagline, presented by our friends at Bullet Frontier Whiskey at the Bullet Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky. Please drink responsibly. We want to hear what you thought. Join the discussion on Twitter now by using the hashtag Tagline. Check out our next episode as Rob Norman returns to host and welcomes tagged-in guest and Mr. Youth founder Matt Britton, along with Joanna Coles from Hearst. They'll be discussing the topic, Do a Brand's Friends Define Them? Catch all our episodes at iHeartRadio slash tagline in the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.